Welcome back to our web series, Acing a Tennis Career, where we interview different tennis professionals and give you a sense of how many wonderful opportunities there are working and playing with the sport that we all love so much. Today, I'd like to welcome Art and Lex Carrington. We've got double trouble, father-son duo today on the show. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Welcome. I'm Natalie, glad to be here. <laughs> it's great to see you both. Let me give you a bit of background about Art and Lex. Um, Art? is a graduate from Hampton University. He's a US Open men's competitor, two-time winner of the American Tennis Association National Championship. But most interestingly, he was a frequent practice partner to Arthur Ashe, who grew up playing with junior tennis during segregation times and was a childhood practice partner and lifelong personal friends to Anthea Gibson as well, both of whom partnered with him to promote tennis to black Americans. He's a historian and he's actually documented the history of tennis in the African American community in a book entitled Black Tennis, an Archival Collection. We're going to hear more about that later. Art is a master teacher. I've actually seen him teach. I've seen the kids he teaches. He's, he's amazing. And he's taught at all levels of tennis since 1969. He runs the Arthur Carrington Tennis Academy and the Carrington Tennis Programs at Hampshire College and Smith College in Western Massachusetts. So Lex is his prodigy. And Lex was raised within the Carrington Tennis Program in Massachusetts. Lex also raised his three children in the program. I just saw them a second ago. They all came past. You missed them. Um, Lex moved with his family four years ago to Florida, where he opened an extension to the Arthur Ashe Carrington Tennis Academy in Port St. Lucie, Florida. He's been coaching full-time tennis for 25 years. He's also an amazing coach, and he's a USTA high-performance certified coach. All right, guys, we're thrilled to have you both on the show. How have you both been doing in lockdown during the pandemic? Are things okay with you both? Very well with me, fortunately, in Massachusetts. And uh, I had a nice little grass court, uh, simulated tennis court in my backyard, so I did pretty good. Oh, that's awesome. Lex, all okay down in Florida? Things are spiking a little right now? Yeah, Florida's by the county, so it's interesting. We're, we're north of uh, Palm Beach County, so we've been playing tennis. We were shut down for about three weeks, and uh, with no tennis in our county, but the golf club was open. And so now we've been playing tennis and going strong okay. and just being safe. But I was just in Palm Beach, so it's, it's really different depending on the county you're in. All right, let's dive into both your stories. I'm going to start with you, Art. Can you please tell us a little bit about your background in tennis? When did you first pick up a racket? Well, I'm 73 years old, and I, start, I was born in 1947, and that's the year Jackie Robinson entered, you know, uh, professional baseball. So uh, just to give you a little context of the time. And um, in by 1957, when I started in tennis at the 10 years old, Althea Gibson was the, uh, had won Far Sills and uh, uh, Wimbledon. And so I thought tennis was a black game because I grew up at, at it was a black tennis club, two tennis courts, picnic area. And um, that was where I started tennis. And it was you know, small, all-black tennis club. And uh, like I said, I thought tennis was a black game. I didn't know that white people played tennis. So that's where my start was. So um, it's going to show that if people in the community see somebody that looks like them doing something, they, they're more prone to do it. So how did you get from there to landing up playing at, at sort of the U.S. Open level? Well, just through the American Tennis Association. The American Tennis Association was founded in 1916 to uh, accommodate black tennis 
because we were left out of all sports, so we couldn't participate in any sports other than boxing, and there was some track and field. But other than that, we didn't, so we had our own golf association, golf tournaments. We had our own baseball, National League, uh, and uh, we had to create different facilities for our own recreation. And so the, uh, what we would call the black educated class, the more affluent uh, black intelligentsia, they mirrored their white, white counterparts. And so wherever they got educated, they had to go back into segregation, but they, they took all these experiences they had. And so they were our first tennis players and, and they put, built these little tennis clubs in our communities. Guys like myself, Althea Gibson, Arthur Ashe, we went, we, that's how we got an opportunity to be exposed to tennis. But all through that time, there was full segregation. You weren't playing white players at all? Oh, no. See, um, I started uh, by 19, like Arthur Ashe came to New Jersey, and he won the 1800 Junior Championship, I believe it was, in 1958. And so junior tennis was uh, start opening up in the mid-50s. Not on the national level, you're really hard to get into the nationals, but on a local level, you could play some. So we used to call it when we would go to a USTA tournament, we would say to each other, we're going to a white tournament. Okay. <laughs> so you go play in the ATA, you know what I mean? You play in the ATA tournament, we're going to a USTA, it would be just really clear, we're going to a white tournament. So when I met my friend Steve Siegel, I was like 14 playing New Jersey State uh, USTA tournaments because I played in the American Tennis Association. And I was one of the first guys start to play in the USTA tournaments. And so socially, it was very, you know, it was kind of difficult. And, uh, but it must have been extremely difficult, but you persevered and you did so well. Was, well did you, you find know, you had I, to like be competitive tennis-wise and then you had to be competitive race-wise as well? Like you were fighting on two levels at the same you, time? As far as any kind of social involvement, you pretty much left out. So initially, like when Arthur Ashford went to National Junior Tournaments, it, it, they would allow ATA players of ATA choice to go to the tournaments, but it was kind of, you acknowledged that you weren't supposed to go to the clubhouse. You weren't supposed to participate in any social events. Donald Dell and these guys know how Arthur Ashe had it. He would be with these guys and they would be together one minute, next minute they would be going to a social event and Arthur Ashe would be left behind. And that was just the way it was at the time and it accepted you know, a way of doing things. And so, um, for myself, I chose to go to a black school. That's why I went to Hampton because I felt that socially I would be better off, and uh, it really helped me more as far as a long range life. Um, going to Hampton really benefited me, whereas um, a lot of the guys. My brother went to Rutgers, and I had a lot of friends, and they didn't have the kind of support system that I had by going to a black school. He's like a woman going to a women's college or a Jewish person going to a Jewish school at that particular time. You know, so, um, so I had a great, tremendous opportunity for my game to develop and me to develop as, you know, as a citizen. So I'm gonna stop you there because I'm gonna come back on that point, but just switch over to Lex quickly and say, Lex, just looking at the, the upbringing was so different for you, your father, like, was a person sort of leading the way. Tell us a little bit about your exposure when you started tennis. You, you were playing tennis at his academy um, and, yeah, and he was coaching you. Funny. When he was talking about uh, playing USTA tournaments, him and Ash, I was playing um, 
boys 18s national clays in Louisville, Kentucky. I was like 16. I was in the quarterfinals and I just won the match, maybe semis, I guess. I don't know. And uh, the tournament director, one of the guys at breakfast used to always call me the Yankee bomber, one of the volunteers. And so the tournament director whose family had been members of the original club, well, we were only playing um, certain matches at that point. The main tournament was at a swim and tennis club, but this other swank club we would go to was really nice. So the tournament director told me about how when he was a freshman, he went to Yale from Louisville, and it was the first time he had seen anything integrated. And then when he came back in the summer, they had the Nationals at his club, and Ash played the Nationals with special, you know, they had permission, and how Ash wasn't allowed to participate in the party and the thing that brought it up was because they'd asked me if I was going to the player dance I said man I'm not going to a dance I didn't come here to go to the dance I'm here to win the tournament and it was funny because he was saying how Ash at that time wasn't even allowed to use the locker room he couldn't use the bathrooms with the players he had to go everywhere with the and he said it really opened his eyes up because he was raised in the south but then he went to Yale as a freshman and came back for this tournament at his tennis club and it was like Everything was a new world to him. And then this, this guy, Arthur Ashe, was at the club. So I thought that was – that always struck me as a kid, yeah. you know, and I played on that team. And so that was interesting. So if we look at three generations, Art, your experience, where literally you were brought up thinking tennis was a black sport. Bex, you were brought up knowing that it was a multiracial sport, that, that there were still challenges and these stories abounded. And now you've got your three kids all playing. How different do you think it is today? So the thing is, is that it seems like it's funny because at the high performance level, at a very high level of competition, it could look like a black sport. There's a lot more black yeah. sport than tennis, right? And doing quite well. But at the more grassroots level, you just don't see it, right? Like I'm in a tennis club here. And I'll you know, see. Go ahead, Pop. Can I speak to that? See, yeah. what I'm saying is you have a lot more tennis players on the high competitive level. But none of these players come from community tennis clubs. What I came on from was a neighborhood tennis club. Althea Gibson came from the Cosmopolitan Tennis Club. It was a community club in Harlem. Arthur Ashe came from the Richmond Racquet Club. I came from the North End Tennis Club in New Jersey, and then it was the Shady Rest Country Club in New Jersey, which was number one in the country. Horseback riding, villas, nine tennis courts, uh, nine-hole golf. It was a facility that the Blacks from 1921 on came to this facility. So I saw... I saw tennis from a whole different perspective, but I saw it, tennis was a community builder then. I don't see tennis as a community builder in the black community. I see these individuals going to tennis academies and wanting to be tennis superstars and wanting to be professionals, but I do not see tennis as a healthy community event the way it was for me when I grew up. And so a tremendous amount of my peers played recreational tennis. It, it, the emphasis now is on go to a tennis academy it's not on, they don't come from tennis clubs. It's not our community neighborhood base. And that's why we don't have the players. And that's what we're trying to change. So right now, if you've seen the restructuring that USTA is going through, they're looking at really a service-oriented build around grassroots growth in communities to develop tennis at schools, to develop tennis as opportunities for kids to come out and play, parents to come out and play and refocus on that area, which I think clearly shows that that's where we'll, we'll gain more traction for the United States in terms of real players that come from our grassroots. Well, see, this is kind of like what we have here in Port St. Lucie. 
It's like, it's not really an academy what I'm doing. And I think that's what my dad's really involved with. We're a club, we're at a tennis and golf club. But like, you know, I just left the courts and the kids are sweeping the courts or turning the sprinklers on. You know, I, like I said, my daughters are at the clubhouse eating lunch. Now, when you look at it from that perspective, it's like most things that are expensive. We don't see many African-Americans, many people of color here. But the way the tennis is isolated a little bit away from the from the club, it's like, how can you figure out how to integrate people from the yeah. community at large into the program? Because when it's not an academy, it's more inclusive, right? You can come here and swim. You can hit some balls. You can learn tennis, play in the program. There's room for people to come in. And then, you know, arts really introduce something that's fun because it's like he said, look, we have a team. So the kids that I coach at a higher level, they're like a part of a team. But then that way, they, they're models for other kids coming up rather than this is academy where parents have to pay 40 grand a year to get into kind yeah. of thing. You know, that's just... There's a big difference between the academy approach and the classic sense and what you guys are doing. Art, do you want to talk a little bit more to that? Because yours is not a classic academy. Tell us more about why it's different. Well, because, first of all, my background. So I came up with a background that encouraged me to be independent as a business person also. So for my very first tennis lesson, I was off the Carrington Tennis Academy. I was like, I refused to call myself a pro for a club that didn't pay benefits, insurance. I could have been a school teacher. I was graduating with a degree to teach school. So I wanted a respectable relationship with tennis. And I felt the way to have that was to be in business for myself as a black American. And that whites and blacks to make the choice to come to me based on my ability. And so that worked for me but I've always been a community coach. What I see too much is too many people with money buy off our good teachers. It's just yeah. that simple. You understand? So they buy off our good teachers. And so we don't have enough guys that have community businesses. That's what it's all about. So you're independent because the people say, because they can pay you for a lesson. As a lot of people can't pay you and respect you as an educator. As soon as they pay you, they think you work for them in a subservient manner. And that just is a, that just leaves me in a bad place with, with the tennis world. That's one of the problems with tennis. You look at our family, we got generations here that came from two tennis sports out of segregation. So that's what tennis could really do. You put some tennis in a community and give some kids a chance, and you can have a character family. Right. You understand that? We're a testament to that. It's Sophia in school, you know what I mean? So there's no question about that. And that's, that's what I live. So tennis is great. And it's great period. It's been good for my life, segregation. So, you know, I'm for community tennis. I'm a community tennis man. And the idea is that not every child has to be brilliant. The idea is that every child learns so many skills. They learn qualities. They have a good time. They need to be the safe. Sport in their life. Safety is what tennis provided for me. I'm from Elizabeth, New Jersey, an urban place. Two tennis courts was my oasis. That's where I did not have to have constant confrontation on the physical level. You understand? So safety, a tennis club, urban kids need the same thing that white kids have. Clubs, a place to go after school to go. where it's safe every day and have good instruction if you have tennis play. Art, you also have another very unusual technique. Let's get into your Indian clubs. I'm not going to say too much, but I've seen you using your various tools to get your players to use their bodies differently. Tell our viewers about your Indian clubs and how you well, get the kids to work with them. Well, it's really a martial arts base. In order to teach whole body integration, the best way to me is through martial arts weapons. It develops concentration, first of all. So like I always like to say, you need concentration 
coordination and whole body integration before you go into specialization. And these tennis pros go specialty too soon. If the kids are not coordinated, they're gonna be injured if you go into the specialty. So the tools that I use, and that I'm not invent, it's just using different martial arts equipment to really teach the body, to educate the body. Can you show us a little bit? Have you? Well, you know, this, <laughs> just everything comes out in our hands. So it's figure eight based, and that's that's what we do. It's in our core. It's from our oh, core. Oh, there they are. There they are. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Fantastic. Right. Yeah. So. And uh, you've you've got my daughter trying that out once or twice, yeah. and your kids, the players Listen, that play, are amazing. I need to make you play better immediately. You know, Lex's children have it as a foundation. They all started doing the figure eight with ribbons. So yeah. Lex, you using that down in Florida now? Are you using those tools? I do, you know, I think you see that because it lays out athletic foundation. My son who's 12, last week he shot a 68 and a 70. I think he went six or seven under for a two day golf tournament, you know, and the guy plays tennis, got to round a 16 in the orange bowl and stuff and it's like, and he raced motocross on a national level, but we all and he's started. awesome. We love him. We all started with ribbons. We started with the ribbons that I have on the hat and, with, and the figure eight, the infinity move, you know, so pops come through with that. Art, you know, is, uh, I, I don't know, it's a tough one because my father was a uh, world-class athlete. You know, I had many people tell me, I remember watching USA tennis because they used to televise all the US Open matches. And so his good friend was Vetus Gerolaitis. And I'm like, Pop, Vetus just said you were the greatest athlete you'd ever seen play tennis. So I told my son that. And he said, well, yeah, that's because Monfils hadn't been playing yet. <laughs> hey, listen, man, LeBron James is in the NBA, not in the French basketball league. So I'm still sticking with what Vetus said. <laughs> Going with the American athlete. athletes into tennis. I mean, a lot of our African-American athletes don't think about playing tennis these days. They think they should be basketball players or football players. And we need to say, well, that goes your back words, to it's a safe arts. place. I don't want to cut you off, but that goes back to the martial arts. Because they don't present tennis in a way in which people don't know that it's a striking sport. That it's a very physical and it's striking. And so it's not a softy game. It's a game that is as close to boxing as far as you It's a gladiator game. It's a, you got it. And the people don't know that because they, if you just go by, like I'm use Forest Park in Springfield. If you go by the nice little tennis courts, you're going to see nothing but eight courts of senior whites. Yeah. That's not going to attract the Puerto Rican kids walking through the park. The blacks, if they look over there, that's a different game. That's, that's, not, that's not a sport to them. <laughs> so, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> somebody that looks like them out there playing with, now when the Gallo girls are in the same park with me and the kids are coming through there, they stop, they look, if athleticism is athleticism. You know yeah. what you did. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just exposure. That's what I'm saying. We, we, you're, you're on point with this how to grow the game thing. What amazes me is that um, they're trying to grow black tennis. I don't know how they can grow it without talking to me. I don't know who else they have that's got a We family. are talking to you often. We're going to talk to you more. Don't worry. I'm, I'm going to be on the phone to you. Relax. <laughs> I promise. I've got a whole food. Um, all right. Let's, we haven't got much time. So I want to, want to ask you, uh, Lex, what, what advice do you have for people who want to enter into this industry? There's a lot of opportunity out there. You've done it. You've made it on your own. So what do you do? So I think, you know, you need to have a foundation in something. So if you want to be in, in uh, retail or if you want to be a teacher, you need to become a better teacher. I feel like they, there's such um, 
a lack of good teaching, the higher level you get in tennis, the worse the teachers it seems to be. You know, you need better teachers. You need to get a foundation in education, know how to talk to kids, know how to deal with kids. And I think that's the most important place to start. And it's got to be fun. Yeah, it's got to be fun. You guys make it really fun. You have to really like what you're doing. If you don't love it, then, you know, I know a wise coach. He's, he's about 73. And he told me once, he said, if the coach is bored, what do the kids feel like? And then he said to me, I don't care what you guys say. No one's ever paid Art Carrington and told me not to let his kid have fun. Make sure my kids don't have fun. <laughs> <laughs> you have a huge influence as a black male role model and mentor. And the current climate, I think, is right for, for, for people to speak out. What advice do you give to people out there who are interested in entering this industry? Um, to start local, that every local community is an opportunity. And that I believe in uh, philosophy I heard years ago, acres of diamonds. Don't, don't try to start so big. Start right where you are in the community that you are because they're school teachers, they're bankers, they're people who would like a tennis program for their, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer in an integrated program for some, you, you need models. So you can't, I don't think that all begin, all beginners are all, you, you need to mix, you need variety, you need, that's what really works for me at this local club. I had black doctors, lawyers, school teachers. I had a variety of people that, to actually interact and play with. So that they, we saw, we saw, and that's what we need local clubs so that the kid can go to the courts and see somebody doing what you, being a good citizen through tennis. You know what I mean? So that's what we say. I saw a book in 1940, Building Citizenship Through Tennis. But I would like to tell you, 80 years ago, July 4th weekend next week, uh, there was a match played at the Cosmopolitan Tennis Club in Harlem. It was Don Budge, who was the number one player in the world at the time, and Jimmy McDaniel, who was the number one black player. And this was the first time in sports outside of boxing that you had uh, you know, a competition of black and white, right? And so Don Budge went to the club and it started um, a series that began in 1940 with him in 1944. Uh, Alice Marble went to the Cosmopolitan Club, and that's where Althea Gibson met her and started a relationship. And in 1945, Pancho Segura. So uh, this eight years ago, this Don Budge, Jim McDaniel was a, was a really major event. It was 2,000 uh, Black people that came to the Cosmopolitan Club in Harlem. So tennis in our community will, you know, we saw through tennis that Black lives mattered a long time ago. Tennis is always you know, um, had the American Tennis Association, like I said, in those days. Now the cream of our crop that used to run the American Tennis Association really pretty much goes into the USTA. So those community programs are not what they once were. But, you but need, we can build them again, and I think we should. We get, yeah, definitely. And we will. So Art, is all of that in your book, what you've just told me about? Is that, are those stories there in your book? Because I really want to read it. Um, not all the stories, but I, I do an exhibit that, and do a talk that gets a little more into it. Uh, okay, I'm going to come. Guys, I want to close off with pivoting a little and just asking a few fun questions of both of you. Just answer them quickly without giving too much thought. So I'm going to start, start with Art answering and then Lex. So firstly, what's your favorite surface that you like to play on, Art? Clay court. Lex? So what Lex said, it builds the community. When the kids work on the courts, that, that's hurt American tennis, clay courts. We need them. Clay. Next? Hit big on hard, but I like to teach on clay. Okay. All right. What's your favorite Grand Slam, Art? 
My favorite Grand Slam to watch on TV is the U.S. Open, but to go to the Australian Open is just hard to beat. It's so easy to navigate. It's that's like an incredible venue. It's just, I mean, it's it's a miniature U.S. Open. Cool. So this year, U.S. Open men's and women's finals. Who do you want to win, Art? Um. Well, um, Tiafu. I like who? Francis. Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead. Say it for us, Lex. <laughs> Let Lex is answering first. <laughs> oh, you said me? You to me all morning, so I got I to gotta hey, keep it rolling. I was trying to teach earlier with them. Natalie, whoever Sophia's close with, that's who I root for. <laughs> is she going to play? Sophia that's is the her best friend. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that Elise is going to be able to watch. We won't be able to be there in person, but it's going to be happening, which is really exciting. Right. Come on, be with your daughter and uh, get some excitement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Haley Baptiste, I want to see Haley win. <laughs> what did you say? Haley Baptiste. Oh. <laughs> I'm up for that. That sounds good. Guys, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. Keep doing the great work. I will get hold of you, Art, so we'll talk more Thanks, about holding these programs. Okay. Good job. Uh, Bye-bye. Thanks, cool. guys. You've Bye. been great. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye.